Last week we talked about the story of Elijah from the book of Kings and how Elijah was so very done with the work that he had been called to do and how God's grace showed up for him and coming to him in that still small voice and giving him the grace to actually be done with his work and giving him a successor who would follow him. So in our passage, we will see that part of God's grace unfolding as Elisha meets Elijah. Then the Lord God said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel as king over Aram, and you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever. So he set out from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing. I love this. So often in the Bible, when God finds somebody or sends someone to find someone to call them into the mission and the ministry, they are going about their everyday lives. Where are you when you're going about your everyday lives, when God might suddenly appear in your life and place that calling on you that you have work to be done? So here is Elisha plowing, just like the disciples are found by a lakeshore mending their nets. People are just in their regular lives. So there were 12 yoke of oxen ahead of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle over him. This is a symbol that he has called him as his successor. He left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, Let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. Now, I love this part. It's directly in contrast to right before somebody was kissing idols, which God you know, is absolutely, God says, I am a jealous God. You shall have no other gods before me. So the thought that somebody would put an idol that is representing not God in the sanctuary and go kiss it is absolutely horrifying. But here is Elisha in contrast saying, let me kiss my father and mother, which is honoring that commandment to love, to Honor your father and mother, and it's beautiful that he asks to go say goodbye to them. And this will be contrasted again later in our next reading. But Elijah says to him, go back again. And this saying is a little tricky to understand in the Hebrew. But he says, for what have I done to you? Meaning, I haven't coerced you. Go back again. You have my blessing. Go kiss your father and mother, and then come along. So he returned from following him, and he took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. This is a symbol both of his hospitality, but also of being done with his former livelihood, that he's ready to now become a prophet. So he uses the equipment, and he feeds the people a banquet, and they eat. And then he sets out, and he follows Elijah and becomes his servant. Now, do you all know the song, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot? This is what's about to happen. God is about to come pick up Elijah in that chariot and carry him home. Now, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. You can see his faithfulness that he had for his parents now he continues in faithfulness to his prophet 
So they went down to Bethel, and the company of prophets who were, with, who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from him? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. I think he doesn't want to hear that. Do you ever feel like that when you just don't want to hear the bad news? You don't want to think about it, so just stop. He doesn't want to hear it, doesn't want to talk about it. Elijah, so now this happens a second time, the same thing, but to a different city. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. He's trying to distance himself from him and say goodbye. But again, the same thing. He says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. I think he's probably getting very aggravated at this point. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. He keeps moving the goalposts on him. Like, I'm going to say goodbye to you here. I go no further. Nope. I'll say goodbye to you here. Come no further. But nope. Now finally all the way to the Jordan, which is a very fitting place for this to happen. The River Jordan. So he says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, and as they both were standing by the Jordan, then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, please let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Here I want to pause and call you back to the call to worship. All good gifts come from the Spirit of God. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, and gentleness are all from God. We come with grateful hearts, not for things. And this is referring back to the reading from Galatians. When we ask God for things like specific things or specific events in our prayers. If we pray to God that we want such and such or we want such and such to happen, some event or some acquisition, I don't think God answers our prayers like that. God doesn't give us exactly what we ask for and God can't make certain things come to pass just because, or God could, but God doesn't make things come to pass just because we've asked. The prayers God will answer are that you will get the gifts of the Spirit. So Elisha asks Elijah for his spirit so that he will be able to live in his ways. And King Solomon asks God for wisdom. If we ask God for wisdom, we will get it. If we ask God for the presence of the Holy Spirit, it, you will realize it was already with you. If you ask God for peace, for joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, those are the prayers that we know are always answered. Call on God for those things, and it will help you face whatever the other things that you are going through that might have been troubling you. So, Elisha says, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. And he responded, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am ta being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. So this is about his persistence and his faithfulness being rewarded. 
As they continue walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended into a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. So here he is already being able to carry on the work. Last week, this is sort of like part two of last week's sermon, we talked about the hard work of being a prophet. Just how difficult it was to be called into this work of speaking truth to power. The prophets put their lives on the line to call the kings and the people into the right way of living, which God had told them. And the people continue to turn away and be unfaithful to the covenant, unfaithful to their relationship with God, worshiping foreign, worshiping idols and not living into this society of justice God had asked them to set up. And here is Elisha, ready to pick up this hard work and carry on. So this story is paired in our lectionary with the gospel according to Luke in the 8th chapter, ninth chapter. And you can tell the way that this is reflecting back on the story of Elisha right from the first line. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus is going to be taken up into heaven, much like Elijah. So the days are drawing near for him to be taken up, and he has set his face to go to Jerusalem. So with this single-minded purpose, forward-looking, he knows the hardship he's going through, and he's focused on his mission. And he is still in these northern territories. So last week we were talking about if this had happened in our country, it would be like if the country actually did fracture in the Civil War and we had the northern, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom which carried on a bitter hatred for one another and a northern um, capital which hated the southern capital. So he's in the north focused on getting to the southern capital and the people around him are the Samaritans, these enemies. These people have created... They had once been a we, and they have created a society of us versus them. So he is with the them, trying to minister with these people and bring them into the kingdom. But his disciples still very much see them as other. And the people there see him and his disciples as other. So he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Because this is something that they would have heard the stories of from the book of Kings. If you have enemies, what do you do? Call down God's fire to smite them. Easy. Take care of it by just wiping them all out. Is this the mission Jesus has come to fulfill? So I wonder how many times we see the disciples get it wrong. And if Jesus, I I wonder how it is when he rebukes them. If he's thinking like, guys, really? Again, with completely missing the point, we didn't come to smite all of these people. We came to love them and reunite us all as one people. But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. 
As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So maybe here he's just giving this person who wants to follow him fair warning. If you're not welcomed in and you have already committed to living a life of homelessness and poverty and you're just a wandering itinerant disciple, if no one's going to welcome you in in this village or the next one or the next one, you are just hungry and living outside. And I think it's a good fair warning that if you can live like this, come along But you should know what you're getting into before you start. This is the life Jesus has chosen as an itinerant preacher. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is a really tough Jesus in this passage. I've always struggled with Jesus saying to someone when his request is, just like Elisha said to Elijah, let me go kiss my parents goodbye. This person saying, let me go bury my father and then I'll come back to you. Because Jesus gives the opposite response that Elijah had given. Instead of giving his blessing and say, come tomorrow when you're ready, when you've sorted things out, he says, let the dead bury their own dead. It really, it's jarring. And then to another, similarly, let me say farewell. And he compares it. We have an, an image on the cover of your bulletin, somebody plowing. No one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. So I read a lot of Bible commentary this week as I was puzzling over this passage, which has always troubled me. And one of the things that people try to do to explain it away, to try to make Jesus nicer and more palatable and easier to love and easier to follow, they can explain these lines away with so many different things. The first saying, yes, like I said, just fair warning that this is a hard life. It's not for everybody. And then for plowing a field, that it's a really solid metaphor. He's focused on Jerusalem. He knows where he's going. He's single-minded in his purpose. And he's saying, if you want to follow me, you also have to be able to do the same thing. So like a person with their hand to the plow, and Jesus and his followers would have known this, if you're going to plow in a straight line, the commentators are explaining, you pick your point in the distance. It might be a tree on the edge of the field. And you focus on that the whole time you're walking so that you can make a straight line, so you can plant straight crops, and you'll have abundance. This is just good practice. But you can imagine if as you're furrowing, you're looking back over your shoulder, you're going to start veering all over the place. So that's fair. It's good advice. No one who puts a hand to the plow. But still, we can trip over this, let the dead bury their own dead. So one commentator tried to explain it away like this. Perhaps what Jesus is saying is sort of tongue-in-cheek. Maybe he wasn't saying the funerals tonight, You are in Judaism, you are supposed to have this body buried as soon as possible, even before sunset if possible. So he's not saying, I'll be back in a few hours or I'll be back tomorrow morning. 
They said, when he's saying, let me bury my father, he's saying, I need to wait an indeterminate amount of time until my father has passed away and I have buried him, and then I will be ready to follow you. Possibly, and that would make more sense that Jesus would say, let the dead bury their dead, as in, let all your living relatives care for your living father. Let them all take care of each other. And I don't know... I don't know if this necessarily makes it easy, but I do think there's a truth here that what Jesus is saying is there's never going to be a good time to follow and start working for the kingdom if you're waiting for everything in your life to be in order. It's always going to be something. There's always going to be some pressing need, and there will always be another excuse that you could make. You could always say, I will work for the kingdom next week or the next week or the next week. There will always be more things that claim your time and attention. But I think even more than this, when Jesus is trying to explain to people what it means to be kingdom people, it's just like when I was talking to the children about being in a community and being part of a larger family. The man is focused on his own father. And for us to live into a kingdom world... Jesus is asking us to think of not only our own either, you know, father by adoption or birth, not only our immediate family members, but all family, all people in our community as family equally. And one of the ways that I started to wrap my head around this passage this week is to switch between elders to children. I think in biblical times, elders were much more revered than they are now. I think people would sit at the feet of their elders and ask them for their wisdom, ask them to tell stories, ask them for advice. I think in our society, elders are more removed from society because each generation thinks, oh, we figured it out. We are so much smarter than the generation that came before. From the boomers looking to the greatest generation to... Gen X, who claims they're always forgotten and overlooked, looking at boomers, and then millennials looking at Gen X, are actually skipping right over them and looking at boomers. And then Gen Z, already making fun of millennials, even though Gen Z are, I don't know, teenagers. Every generation thinks that they can look down on the generation that came before, but the people who are prized more than anyone are the children. In our society, I think most of our resources our time, our attention, our love goes to children, whereas in Jesus' time, children were the absolute lowest rung of society. And I think to understand this better, it would be more like if I knew that there was kingdom work to be done, when I hear about the work that Connect is doing in education and equity in our communities, it would be like if I thought about working with Connect And I said, you know what? I'm just so busy right now working with the PTA at my own children's school. I will care about other people, other families, other schools, other communities, once everything is okay in my own local school. And I think what Jesus would say to us then is, it's so much bigger than that. There's the saying, there's no such thing as other people's children. And if we want to live into the kingdom, we have to care as much about other families and other communities as we care about our own. And we have to advocate first 
and most powerfully for those who are the most vulnerable. That is the kingdom work that Jesus is calling us to. And we have to look outside our own small circle for that to happen. Are there other examples? This is a small enough group that I feel like we could do some Bible study here. That's just one that comes from my own life experience. Are there other examples you have in your own life? If you thought of other communities, other families different than your own, and loved them as much as you love the people in your immediate circle, what might you be called to do? Yes. Yes, make sure that if you can that you feed somebody. My sister, in the early part of her career, was a special education teacher, and she would go to board of ed meetings, and she was always astounded by how parents who had children who did not have special needs would advocate against money in the budget going to make schools more accessible, playgrounds more accessible, put resources in place in every school for the children who did have many needs. And she said it would just... It was unfathomable to her that people couldn't relate to other parents in the same room who just by fate, they could so easily have been in the other parents' shoes. And here are parents advocating tirelessly for what their children need against people who just don't have the imagination to see that some children are more vulnerable than others and, and battle against each other. God has given us the imagination, the ability to try to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and say, who is the most vulnerable here and how can I work to help their needs be met instead of using our voices to argue against it? So I can't put a nice bow on this and wrap it all up. We still have Jesus saying to follow him means to be potentially homeless, to give up physical comforts. To another, he says, let the dead bury their dead. And another says, no one who puts hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I don't think we get a nice Jesus who we feel like is easy to love or easy to follow. But we do get a clear understanding of how the kingdom is supposed to look, how we are supposed to create a society by using whatever gifts we have, by taking the love that we feel for the people we love most, our own immediate family, our own best friends, if we could take that love and superimpose it onto people we know nothing about and relate to them, love them, care about them and their needs and what justice might look like in their world as much as we love our very own family members, that is when the kingdom of heaven breaks in. The kingdom is not some afterlife. The kingdom is realized here and now whenever we live out that love that Jesus has called us to live. So let's go into our weeks with eyes wide open for where in our regular everyday lives, working at your desk, in the grocery store, having coffee with a friend, paying attention to the news, you will hear God say, come, follow me, come, engage in the work, keep your eyes, your ears, your hearts open wide for that Call on your life and be ready to say, here I am. May it be so.